you have your Bibles, let's open them to Mark chapter 5. We're in verses 21 to 43, this passage that Jessica just read. Uh, We are following the servant king, Jesus Christ, and so doing, uh, we are trusting that our lives, the side screens again, are being redefined by his. I want to remind us, we don't study the the, the Bible and certainly the gospel accounts in Jesus' life to know more about him, but to truly become more like him, transformed, uh, changed by him. If you listen to that story that Jessica read, you notice there are two people in our text today. It happens to them. It happens to them in a moment. Uh, There's a a healing and there's a resurrection. So at least these two people encountered Christ and they were never the same. And we would say people who saw the events unfold uh, could not see or relate to Christ in the way they had before these events happened. And I'm very serious when I say I pray that the same is true for us today. Uh, As Tim so beautifully led, shared a story in a prayer time. He was changed in a moment. Do we believe that we can be changed in a moment? Do you think you just came here today to go to church, learn a little about Jesus, drop your kids off and go home? I don't believe that's why we gather at all. When we encounter Christ, we are transformed in the moment, and it can certainly happen, and I pray it does for us, even as we sit under his word. No one's going to get, I don't, you know, I'm not saying someone's going to get healed, (laughs) I'm not saying someone's going to be resurrected from the dead. As life-altering as those two things uh, are, of course, I know this is going to sound strange, but that's not the most important thing that happened in this story, you all. And may I say this, it's not the most important thing that needs to happen in your life today. And some of you may go, Lloyd, um, I think that would be the most important thing if I was physically healed from a terminal illness. Uh, Lloyd, I think it would be the most important thing if a child died and God brought them back. Well, the text tells us differently. And uh, you may say, well, then what is the most important thing? That's what we're going to learn as we study it today. If you didn't catch this, Uh, I hope you do now, we've come to another Markin sandwich, okay? I want to refer back to when I taught a few weeks back, and Mark organizes his material in such a way that he'll hit these spots in his account of Jesus' life and give us a sandwich, so to speak. He begins a story, top slice of bread. The story's interrupted by something, the, you know, the meat here in the middle. And then he gives us the bottom slice of bread that concludes the top story that he began. You have this sandwich, so to speak. By way of context, uh, we are also in a section, and I need to make note of this because we'll come to it at the very, very back end. We're in a section of the the biography, so to speak, where Mark is giving us four accounts of Jesus's authority. He's, this begins back where we started a couple weeks back, He's, he, Jesus is authoritative, okay, over nature. And he, what? Calmed a storm. He's, he's, his authority is over nature. And then he's authoritative over demons and demoniac, the, the demoniac of the Gerasenes. It's what Michael covered, okay, last week. So he's got authority over nature and demons. And now we pick up this story, and I want you to see it all as a unit, okay? We get these last two things. He's, 
He's got authority over disease. And oh my, he has authority over death. So you see these four things? I want you to keep them together because when we interpret these two and see how they apply to us, we want to do it in connection with these two as well as one big unit. Uh, if I outlined the, the text today, the sandwich looks like this. There is a, uh, I'll describe it, there's a desperate faith, top slice of sandwich. Uh, there is a trembling faith. This is the meat and lettuce and the tomatoes in the middle. And then it wraps up with a tested faith. So, so there's the, 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 the story, the sandwich, as we'll see it. It has to do with faith, okay? There's desperate faith. There's trembling faith in the middle. And then we conclude with tested faith. Jarius, the woman, and then Jarius. I'm just going to read it section by section. We've read the whole. Now let's study it together. Look in your Bibles, please. We pick up the story. He, was on the, he had gone to the, uh, the eastern side of uh, the, the sea. Now he's coming back to the western side. He's come back to a Jewish area, by the way, when we pick up in verse 21. Here's the desperate faith of Jairus. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live, and he went off with him, and the large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A synagogue official would be a layperson who ran the synagogue, like the board of the elders, the chairman of the board. Think of the local synagogue had this lay elder who would make sure that the grounds were kept up, that the roof didn't leak. Uh, he would arrange for the, what rabbis were coming in, who were going to be the readers of the Torah today. How are we going to celebrate the feast, you see? He would have been a person of some means, quite frankly, and absolutely he would have had probably the highest of, 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 the highest of reputations uh, within the community. Now, we know already what the synagogue leaders think of Jesus, okay? So you got to go back to chapter 3, verse 6. Don't turn there, but when we, when we look at what happened there, things are happening in the synagogue, and the religious leaders, scribes, Pharisees, let me ask you, what do they think about Jesus? Just say some words. What do they think about Jesus? We already know this in our story. Say it. They, okay, so we're in the gospel of Mark, and the, the scribes and the rulers, do they like Jesus? Yeah, they don't like him at all. In fact, when you don't like someone and you don't like him as much as they didn't like him, they wanted to kill him, okay? So I just want you to sense that so that we would assume that the, 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 the ruler of this, the lay person who oversees the synagogue would probably carry the same sentiments. And yet we see this synagogue ruler coming to Jesus and throwing himself down. And, and, and we should, should, in a sense, be going, oh my, that's a shocker. Because I assure you, that's what they thought. And the original audience that's reading this going, oh, what in the world is going on? This synagogue official has thrown himself at the feet of Jesus. Now, his daughter's on the verge of death. So we're thinking, okay, some motivation here. And he believes Jesus can come to his home and heal her. And he pleads desperately, okay, desperate faith for him to do that. Now, it's clear Jairus has a measure of faith, okay? I'm going to take a, there's going to be a few pieces to this story I'm going to ask you to hold for a while we resolve at the end. But he has faith, 
I mean, clearly he thinks Jesus comes to his home and, and maybe he's seen some healings in his own synagogue, right? Jesus healed the, the, the guy's arm right there in the synagogue. Maybe it was um, Jairus' synagogue. But if we un, you know, peel the onion on his faith, may I suggest that his faith is um, not, to, not to be mean at all. Let's just take it the way it is. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a self-serving faith. Okay, this is not the faith of uh, of. So I'll be honest with you, of say Tim coming and falling down and worshiping God, or any of us doing that. This is the faith of, hey, can you do something for me? As, as you know, it's not bad faith, but I would say it's incomplete faith. I might say it's immature faith. Um, I might say it's foxhole faith, if I could say it that way. You know, he's, he's, into, he's it, I'm dying, he's calling out, you know, in that moment. I want you to hang on to that. Then one last thing before we go on to this unnamed Woman, I've described what type of man Jarius was, his standing. What did he give up? What did he give up by coming to Jesus and falling at his feet? What, what, what now did he give up by doing that? I mean, in front of a crowd, by the way. He gave up his reputation. I mean, he may not have a job as the synagogue ruler tomorrow, quite frankly, you see. It cost him, didn't it? It cost him to come and make this Plea. Well, without delay, uh, you know, Jesus follows. Something came to matter. I'm going to get this. Something came to matter more to Jarius than his economic standing, his social standing, his reputation. I don't give a rip about any of that. What matters most is the life of my daughter. Now, here's the question I want you to think about. What if the life of his daughter is not the most important thing in his life? He thinks it is. This is where the story is going to take us. Jesus follows him. Um, It's a crowd. So you got to imagine yourself, maybe when you're leaving here in that little boxy area in the middle, you're just kind of moving out, you know, with the crowd. Maybe you're leaving a Titans game or a a concert somewhere at Bridgestone in the crowd. How do you leave those crowds? You kind of leave in a river of sludge people, people sludge. You know, you're just kind of making your way out, but you're not moving quickly, are you? And everyone's around you bumping into each other. What's Jarius, what's Jarius feeling in all this? A sense of urgency. My daughter's on the verge of death and we they, they slowly slide through town. Let's go to the trembling faith of the woman, verse 35 to 34, verse 25 to 34. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather going worse. This just goes worse to worse to worse. After hearing, key word about Jesus, she came he word up in the crowd behind him, and she touched his cloak or outer garment. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed. She sensed it physically. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around to the crowd and said, who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, it's kind of humorous, you you see the crowd pressing in on you? And you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. We're at the middle of the sandwich. Now, there's a reason this is in the middle. 
Um, uh, someone mentioned to me uh, last week f- from Brentwood, their father's an OBGYN, and they asked him about this, and he said probably fibroids or cervical cancer. I mean, we don't, of course, we don't know, but we know that she was had a menstrual bleeding for 12 years from a physical standpoint. Can you imagine? And this is certainly for the ladies, the, the physical devastation that this wrought on her body. Do you think this woman ever had a good day? I don't where she had energy to get through the day, where it didn't affect her emotionally. See, and then he tells us it actually gets worse because I want you to think, think about this. Physically, certainly, major devastation, but spiritually and relationally, it gets worse. She's absolutely isolated. She is absolutely on her own. Leviticus 15 says that a woman, when she's on her, her period, uh, she's unclean. And then she's unclean for seven days after that, and then she gets a ritual cleansing. And at that ritual cleansing, she steps back into the life of the body. Don't read into that like punishment because a woman menstruates and those things. God's given pictures of what, what sin does. It separates us, those kinds of things. But don't, don't go there on that. This is just what God was orchestrating as, he, as he's putting redemptive history together and showing us things about the gospel. But if a woman uh, has to be cleansed after, you know, seven days of waiting after her period, what does a woman do to be cleansed who never stops bleeding? How is she cleansed and restored? You tell me. How? She's not. She is a perpetual outsider to her own family, people, and God. Oh my gosh, it gets worse. She has spent all her money on doctors. You know, this is, it's all they knew. But when you read about some of these cures that gave, they, that were probably given to her, it's like witch's brew. It's all they knew, per se, you know, that they would do. And now she's financially bankrupt. You know, if there's, oh my goodness, I, I don't know how it could be any worse. Now, like Jarius, I do want to note she has faith, does she not? Does, does she have faith? Tell me yes or no. Yes, she does have faith. She's got a measure of faith, but I don't, I want to be honest about her faith. And we must say it's, it's a superstitious faith. You know, they did think sometimes that they touched a certain magician or touched a holy man, that it was, just, it was a superstitious faith. I would, I would have to say hers was an incomplete faith. Uh, I, would, I would have to say it was an imperfect faith and, and certainly a, 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 a tiny faith in some ways. But but she came. Now, the most important thing in her life, okay, she's coming to Jesus, and the most important thing in her mind is that she be physically healed, right? That's why she came. You wouldn't come going, I'm going to bring him the third most important thing. No, I, this is what matters most, and she brought it, but I'll ask you again, what if her physical healing is not the most important thing in her life? This is where the story is taking us. The verb tense in verse 29 tells us that it's something she kept repeating to herself. And so what I, what I in, in my mind's eye, I just kind of go, it's like the little engine that could, because she literally was saying this as she moved through the crowd. Can you imagine who's she bumping into when she goes, she's bumping into everybody. By the way, do you know that a woman who's unclean, whoever she touches is unclean? So she's touching all these people, and in her mind, they're all unclean, but she's going, but she's going, if I can only touch this girl. Excuse me. If I can only touch his garment. If I can only touch his garment. If I can only, if I can only touch his garment. She touches it. And she feels the blood has stopped. 
And in my mind's eye, I picture it like this, that she's going this way. The crowd's moving. They're trying to get to Jesus. She's moving a little faster than the crowd, almost like moving faster than the current. She touches Jesus. Boom, she feels it. In my mind's eye, I kind of have a feeling she stopped and people were just bumping into her because the river's flowing around her now like she's a boulder in the middle of a people river. And they're going on and going on and she feels it. And then the crowd, the, the river stops. And of all things, she hears Who touched my garment? Now, no one in the crowd knows what he's talking about except one person. Who? The woman. What had she been saying? Who touched my garment? And, of course, the disciples are flabbergasted. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Everyone has touched you or boatloads of people. Oh, but there's a touch of faith, isn't there, that's, that's not just a physical touch. Jesus never asks a question for, without a reason, right? It's not, he's got a reason. His eyes locked onto her. She, she realized in that moment, you all, that her hand was in the cookie jar. <laughs> oh my gosh, he knows. And he, she comes, she throws herself before him. Before she snuck up on him, see the, how the story's going? She snuck up on him. Now she comes straight to him, falls down, and tells the whole truth. And as she's telling the whole truth, who else is hearing the whole truth about her life? Tell me. And all the people. There's a part of me that wants to go, Jesus, don't do that to her. Twelve years she's suffered with shame, embarrassment. You're making her tell everyone. I mean, it's honestly, you just kind of go, why? Well, Jesus always has a reason for what he does, doesn't he? We'll see that in a moment. Before we get there, I I, I want to put the bottom slice of the bread on, okay? Desperate faith, the trembling faith in the middle, now this tested faith on the bottom. Then we're going to apply this. Verses 35 to 43. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? No need to come. It's over. But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid. Only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion and people loudly wailing, weeping and wailing. They hired professional mourners. So you would hire mourners and flute players. And uh, if you had more money, you hired more, and he's probably a man of wealth. So there's craziness going on, professional mourners, you know, weeping and wailing, flute players playing. And entering in, this is Jesus, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep, the child has not died, but is asleep. They begin laughing at him. Do you know why, they, why, would, they, why would professional mourners laugh at Jesus when he said he's, she's asleep? Because they know dead people when they see him. They've been doing this a long time. But putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha come, which translated means, we don't have to wonder about this, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk for she was 12 years old. Wait a minute. Someone else in this story has got something going on for 12 years. See, he's, he's, he's weaving this story together, connecting it. 
And immediately they were completely astounded. He gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said something should be given her to eat. I love that. You know, this is, give her a cracker, somebody. She's been out for a while. She needs a little cracker and soda, settle her stomach down, and she needs some energy. Now, we read uh, this story, and we'll say, I'm just going to suggest this, that that Jairus was tested in at least these two ways. I'm going to give you two ways he was tested. The first is by delay. I think that's obvious, isn't it? The tension builds, you know, when that... Nothing's happening. The crowd's stopping. Um, the woman's keeping Jesus, Jesus from getting to the daughter who's on the verge of death. Um, uh, the tension builds up upon hearing that the illness, I, 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 this is my mind's imagination, but can you imagine? My daughter's dying. Come, you know, she's on the verge of death. Will you come? Jesus says, yes. And they're just slowly going. And this is Jairus kind of like, God, get out of the way. Get out of the way. We got to go. And then he's going and Jesus says, stop back here and says, who touched my garment? And Jairus got to be going, Again, are, are you kidding? We got to go take care of my daughter, you see. And, and, and then we read this story and I, I've got to think he might have thought he, she tells the whole truth 12 years and maybe he, he's going, oh, I'm, I, I, I feel bad for you, but 12 years, what would, what would a couple more hours be? Because my daughter's on the verge of death, you see. There's a young girl that's been living for 12 years on the, on the edge of death. There's a woman who's been dying for 12 years. That's just amazing, his, the story. Um, how long did it take her to tell the whole truth? How long, guys, how long does it take your wife to tell, tell you about her day? I, see that, I, you know, but, but I, I, I think he told the whole truth. There was a lot that was said. He told her the she, she described everything, you know, she described where he, she was, what happened, and time is ticking. Her miracle was his disaster, or, or was it, right? Now, delay, tested by delay, delay um, for most of us is like the flu, I think. Avoided at all costs. If, um, if we offered shots back here, hey, if you want to stop and get a shot, it's covered on insurance, we're going to cover it, and you will have no delays in your life. No interruptions, you know. He says, I think we'd all get it. We'd all take the no more delay shot, per se. We could make a number of applications, but I'm just going to make one. Henry Nowen said something, and you've heard this quote before probably, but I think we'll just take this and continue on, but this application of, of delay. Nowen was talking with a fellow professor at Notre Dame, and the professor said to Nowen, quote, you know, my whole life I've been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered that my interruptions were my work, end quote. Changed Nowen, literally shifted his thinking. He would write later, Nowen, quote, it has been the interruptions to my everyday life that have most revealed to me the divine mystery of which I am a part. All of these interruptions presented themselves as opportunities, invited me to look in a new way at my identity before God. Each interruption took something away from me. Each interruption offered something new, end quote. Let's just ponder that as we move into our day and our week. The delay tested his faith. And then the second test I want to say is the greatest test of all. Test of death. When Jesus says the girl's asleep, he, he's not saying she's not dead or in a coma. He means she's dead, but because I'm here, you understand sleep is, 
It's temporary. It's a euphemism. And it's a euphemism that will be used in the New Testament, right? What do we read in 1 Thessalonians 5? He's, Paul's speaking. He says, now considering those who have, who have fallen asleep, so those who have died, don't, don't grieve for them. That they, so it's a, it's a euphemism for death. She's, she's dead. Jesus reaches all the way back to verse 22. And he, I love the way the text story says it because the people, the, the, his, his servant, somebody came to him and said, it's over, she's dead. And it says Jesus overhearing. And, and it's probably, a, it could be translated, Jesus ignoring what was said, turned to him before he could say anything. And he said this, don't be afraid, keep believing, keep believing, keep believing keep believing. It's an intense, it's continual action. You came to me because you had a slither of faith that believed that I could do, I could do what only God can do, which would be to heal a disease, and you believed. So now you get this news, keep believing, keep believing, keep believing, keep believing. I think it's interesting that when you pick up the back end of the story, slice, meat, slice. The bottom slice is the biggest slice, isn't it? It's the biggest part of the story. But when you get there, do you notice Jarius' name is not mentioned at all? I just find this curious at least, and Mark did it for a reason. But when you read it, you read synagogue official, the synagogue official, the child's father. But he's not mentioned, and it's almost like Mark's telling us, you know, Jarius isn't the main point of the story kind of removes his name out of the story. You know, Jairus and his daughter matter, but they don't matter the most. Okay, now we know what the story, we've observed the story, we've studied the story, and how do we apply it? How does it redefine our, how does it redefine our life? Uh, D.A. Carson was teaching on this passage, and he said something. So this is not my original insight at all. I never have an original insight, by the way. I just read a lot. Um, and, and, and he said this, he said, notice that Jesus only commends the woman's faith, not the faith of Jairus. And I went, okay, he commends the woman's faith. And when he commends her faith, I, you got to note what he says. Daughter, your faith has made you well. The center of the sandwich is this woman and even this phrase per se. It's the only time in Mark's gospel where Jesus addresses a woman, daughter. I have two daughters. They're not just girls to me. They're not just young women. They're my daughters. Uh, It hits my heart. I have a relationship with my daughters, you see. How did Jairus, when he came back in verse 22, he came to Jesus pleading and he said, my who? daughter is on the verge of death. Will you come? What did Jairus have with his daughter? A relationship with his daughter, intimate and real. I would venture to say, if, G, if he came to Jesus and said that, and Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, if you'll die, I'll let her live. What would Jairus have done? 
What would Jairus have done? Give, give, his, give his life. Every dad in the room would do that. Give his, give his life. Now, think about the story. This woman comes to Jesus. She's outcast, bankrupt, untouchable, unclean, unwanted. And Jesus calls her what? Say it. Something's happened, you guys. Something we don't see per se, but now she is his daughter. There is a relationship that this woman, she has a relationship with Christ, you see, and she has a relationship with Christ, and she doesn't even know this, that Jesus is going to give his life so that she can be his daughter forever. And you say, well, Lloyd, then she's not a believer. She hasn't believed in the death and, of course, the death and resurrection hadn't happened. She's on this side of the cross. She's believing what she knows about Jesus. This is what happens in the Old Testament, people. They don't believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus per se. It was a shadow. They believed God. They trusted God. She's trusting Jesus as she knows what she knows about Jesus, you see. And now he says, you're my daughter, you see. Oh, my. And how was that relationship established? How was it? Was it, it was, what does Jesus say? Your what? Your faith, you see, has saved you. Every time the word get well, get well, I want to get well in this passage is used. It's the Greek word sozo, which is the Greek word saved, delivered. And, and of course, it means, you know, you could be saved from a flood. You could be saved from harm. But it also means, it's the word we use for salvation. You could be saved in the sense that you're saved from your sin. The context is what's going to define that. And while these parts of these are saved as in rescued and healed, I think the context clearly says here she is, she is saved. <laughs> salvation saved through her faith. I love verse 27. Three words there I highlighted when I read it. She heard, she came, she touched. She heard, she she comes, she, she touches. You remember earlier I said, okay, being healed and being raised from the dead is not the most important thing that could happen to you. It's not the most important thing that happens in the story nor in our life. And I said, okay, well, what is the most important thing? There's several, but I think I'm going to give two most, you know, there, how are two things most important? Well, it's the Bible. <laughs> you know, this, this is what God says. At least these two things. Number one, the object of faith is what matters most, not the quality of faith. The object of faith is what matters most, not the quality of faith. This is a very simple lesson I think we've known, but I'm going to remind you, we err greatly. We err greatly when we, uh, we get more concerned about the quality of our faith. You know, how's my faith? Is it strong? Is it weak? You know, the frailty of our faith, etc. And we focus on that rather than what our faith is in. I don't care how tiny, I don't care if I just got a sliver of faith that that stair will hold me. I mean, I don't think it will, but I think it, and it does because it's not my faith that's the strength, it's what my faith is in, you see. And I think we can get hung up on our faith more than the object of, about our, of our faith. Hear me carefully on this. Don't misquote me or out of context, please. It's not about your faith. It's not about your faith. Now, Faith saves us. Faith matters. Faith is essential, but it's what your faith is relying in. You would be shocked at what a measly, puny sliver of faith saves people from an eternal destiny apart from God. And if I looked at this woman's faith, I'd go, you know, that's kind of like a, I think her faith's kind of like a tiny as a mustard seed. In fact, it's a mustard seed that's kind of flawed, actually. I think I'm not even going to plant this one because it doesn't look very... And yet, it's that faith, you see. And the same with Jairus. That's why I talked about their faith being 
uh, imperfect. Sometimes I'll ask my kids, as a dad, I'll say, I get them alone, I say, well, I wanna, um, I, I, wanna, I wanna ask you, what do you want me to stop doing as a dad? What do you want me to start doing as a dad? And what do you want me to keep doing as a dad? And they'll, oh, dad, I, I hate it when you do this. Or, I know, but tell me, what do you, I'm gonna give you a stop, start, and a keep regarding your faith. Stop paying so much attention to the quality of your faith. You know, we, we think faith sometimes that works out like a muscle. I don't totally agree with that statement. The more you work it, the stronger you get. And then we kind of, it's like at the gym, you know, you're looking in the mirror, you know, my face getting stronger and stronger. And I go, I don't, I don't know about that because, and here's why, faith is a gift. How do you make a gift stronger? I don't, that's not locking with me. I think... You, you, what you do with a gift is you receive it and you enjoy it and you use it. So all of us have different measures of faith, you see. So don't ever look at my faith or someone else's faith. You just, whatever faith you got, you got, use it. Just use it, receive it, trust it, you see. You don't have to try and build up your faith so it's like so-and-so's faith. No, no. Stop paying so much attention to the quality of your faith. Start paying more attention to Jesus. Boy, this is, you guys know this, it's, who he is, all he is, see him as he truly is. Stop, start, and then keep. What do you mean keep? Keep coming to Jesus with the faith that you have. It's not very much faith, just keep coming to Jesus with the faith. But it's not like so-and-so's faith. Keep coming to Jesus with the faith you have. Because if you got a sliver, it's a gift. He's given it to you. And bring it to Christ. The object of faith is what matters most, not the quality of faith. And then this last thing, last what matters most here is our greatest need is not a transaction with Jesus, but a relationship. Our greatest need is not a transaction with Jesus, but a relationship. You know, she could have slipped off. Y'all, let's just take the story another way. She's healed. She feels it. She goes home. She lives 20 years. She actually got married. She had children. She died. Apart from God forever. See, she had her transaction when she touched him. But Jesus says, you don't need a transaction. You need a relationship with me. And he required her to come. Oh my, and that's part about her telling her whole story. We think, we think oh my gosh, that's totally embarrassing. Let me tell you what happens to shame when you bring it in a trusted context. When you bring shame in the open, you know what happens to shame? It goes away like the dew on the grass. It doesn't get stronger, you see. Jesus knows that. We didn't need Brené Brown to tell us that per se. Although I really like Brené Brown, by the way, you guys, and it's good. But Jesus knows that. And so he has her. Thank God Jesus knows what we need more than we do. Because we come to Jesus and go, this is what I need. And he may grant it, he may not, but he always gonna give us what we most need, isn't it? And I'll tell you what they most needed was a relationship with Christ. And that's true for you and I. That never, ever changes. But come to him, we must. Come to him. I wanna ask... uh, Tim and Blair to come out here. Tim, if you guys are back there or up here, come on up. We're gonna, they're going to sing a song. And I said to you, I've been praying that we would be changed here today in, in, in a moment, whatever God wants to do in us. And the way I'm going to have us do this is like the woman, if you've heard Jesus, then maybe it's in, he's inviting you to come and actually touch Jesus. And you go, Lloyd, this is getting weird. You're talking about me touching Jesus. Here's what I mean. 
Uh, they're going to sing a song over us. Tim's going to sing a song over us. And I want to give you the opportunity to come down front, okay, and to, to kneel. We've got kneelers up here all the way around the stage. Um, and to kneel, and, and I just want you to, it's, it's an act of faith to come and, and just give Jesus what's on your heart. Touch Jesus in that sense. With, hey, tell him what you need, whatever you may need to do. Think about the story. Their plea was not easy. It was very public. Um, I want you to know I'm not, I'm not manipulating anyone. This is not like I'm going to get you to feel something. I'm, I'm giving you an opportunity uh, to, to come. And as odd as this may sound, I think this is true, that you know, faith often requires some movement of your body. It's a, I don't know, man. You read the Bible and you go, you know, faith may be invisible. And I know it is. It's like love. That's invisible. But, you, but, but it, it, your body does something with faith. You touch, you move, you go. And I think Jesus knows that. And I'm inviting you, if you want to, to come down here. And if you can and the, these are full, then you just kneel down on the concrete wherever you want. And if someone comes down to pray and you know them and you just want to put a hand on them, then come down and do that. That's what we want to do. By the way, the kneelers are going to be here forever on because we want to do that as a community of faith give you opportunities to do this and you say well man if i stand up people are going to think i'm i've got a disease or people are going to think i'm care-. anybody in here doesn't have any shame or disease or hurt you know what i'm saying we're all broken now the the the, the faith for some of you is going to be sit where you are you're gonna, some of you might feel like i don't want to get up and walk through the aisle i gotta get by people that's fine then your faith is to stay where you are to talk to jesus maybe and this is okay maybe the faith is just for you just to stand where you are just to stand there that's that's fine i'm trying to give you these opportunities if you come down and pray, if you stand, I want you to remain standing and I want you to remain down here because we're going to end the service with you standing and, and down here. I've got a few words I want to say. Is everybody clear on what I'm inviting and offering to you? You don't have to do a thing. But if you've heard, then I'm going to invite you to come and I'm going to invite you to touch, if I can say it that way, just with your faith to touch him. Let me give you that opportunity now.